And Lord, we do just come before you as a group, um, your body of believers here. Just um, We come to honor you. We come to hallow your name is holy. We worship you. We praise you. We're just so grateful for every day that we get um, that you've given us as a gift. Um, pray that um, I just echo all the prayers in here, that, um, that you'd bless Mike and family and um, give them rest this week and next week and bring them back to us fresh and ready to do more ministry in your name. And today, as we open the word, I pray that your word would come out and that it would be clear and concise and that your truth is all that's heard here. Um, no distortion of man, um, just just your words. Um, your words are the ones with power. Your words are the words with truth. So um, we look to your words and uh, we seek your guidance always, Lord, as a, as a body and individually. Um, lead us today. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, well, today uh, we're going to be kind of bouncing around. The idea behind this message was that every time I would go into study, for, and I'd be looking up like a verse for prayer. I'd just do a word search for prayer. Uh, almost always, there was a very specific word that went right along with prayer. And you could probably guess it because it's probably right there. Uh, fasting. Prayer and fasting. And I was thinking, every time I do a word search, these two go together. Every time I pray, it's just one of them. And I think typically that's the story for most American in the church today, probably mostly around the world. I think most of the world struggles with this, but very few of us probably have a very active fasting life. If that sounded weird, it's because nobody ever says fasting life. <laughs> like You hear prayer life, you don't ever hear fasting life. That's wild. Like who, who does that? I mean, I know someone who did. Jesus. But first, before I dive into... <laughs> All my youth leaders are like, hey, these aren't kids, dude. Calm down. Grow up. Double, double down. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, but no, first off, I want to look into fasting. Okay, fasting today is actually getting very popular in the secular world. Yes, the secular world, which is kind of sad. It's another one of those areas where the secular world is actually doing something with more discipline than the church is these days. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, one of them is, I'm sure a lot of you have heard about the different diets that are out there. It's something called the 5-2 method and intermittent fasting. It's actually for like, a, you know, health reasons. Actually keep you healthy, lose weight. Um, so they're not doing it from a spiritual sense. They haven't shown us up in that area yet. Um, but there's another direction that people come at for fasting that I found really fascinating. And it kind of changed my perspective a little bit on fasting in the Bible and how it can be used. And so I'm going to read to you uh, from a guy named Mark Matson, a neuroscientist at the National Institute of Aging and a professor at John Hopkins University. He reveals this, um, the surprising brain benefits of fasting. So he's doing testing, and he's actually finding brain benefits. And it, re it reads like this, his study does. In the animal, or uh, in an animal in the wild, like a cougar or a wolf that hasn't killed any prayer, uh, prey in a couple of weeks, during that time, they're pretty much running on ketones rather than glucose. Obviously, it's important that their brain and body are able to function well in that fasted state. Makes sense. They need to think well. They need to be sharp and uh, on point if they want to survive. And that's what we're finding in lab animals. The brain and body actually perform better during fasting. The brain and body perform better during fasting. In the case of brain, this is what I want to highlight, cognitive function, learning, 
memory, and alertness are all increased by fasting. I'll read that list again because that list is really important. Brain, uh, cognitive function, learning, memory, and alertness are all increased through fasting. And in the body, we recently found that mice maintained an, uh, mice that maintained an alternate day fasting diet during a month of treadmill training, which is a weird thing to say, treadmill training for mice, um, <laughs> have better endurance than mice fed every day. I don't know how they test that. but uh, So intermittent fasting enhanced the mice's uh, physical performance. That's cool. Not so much what I'm worried about, though. I really think it's fascinating about the brain cognitive um, enhancements that you get from fasting. It focuses you. Fasting actually biologically focuses you. Focuses your mind, focuses your attention, increases your memory. You are mentally in a better state when you're fasting. I think that's fascinating. These findings are currently being used in industries where mental acuity and reaction time are key. A recent article from braineffect.com found that the pre-match routine of a professional video game player, yes, that's a real thing, um, <laughs> professional video game player, I never made it that way. I, I played as much as a professional video game, never good enough, but um, in my youth, in my youth, included a minimum professional video game player. Think about these guys, millions of dollars on the line, their reactions have to be sharp, their mental acuity has to be sharp, they require a minimum of a four-hour fast prior to any match. Minimum, four hours. Most of them report fasting way more than that because they get increased effects beyond four hours. So most actually report fasting often up to a whole day before a match because they want their mental acuity and they want their reaction time to be that much better. They're very disciplined in this. It's every match. They are that disciplined because they have a goal. They have a goal they want to win. And they're dedicated to that goal and they will discipline their bodies for that goal. Very inspiring. The world has found a surprising affinity for fasting and I think it would be fair to say that the church year upon year is reducing its use of fasting. This dates back at least to Spurgeon. I found this fascinating. At least Spurgeon who had this to say about fasting. He'll put it up on the screen for you practiced oftentimes by our Lord and advised by him to his disciples, not a kind of religious observance in itself meritous, but a habit when associated with the exercise of prayer, unquestionably helpful. I am not sure whether we have uh, not lost a very great blessing in the Christian church by giving up fasting. Going back to Spurgeon. In the church, he says we great use it in the church as being totally given up, no longer church a thing. In Spurgeon's time, I think we're probably even further from that now. I would say, um, I think, and, and this is Mike always tells me. He says like, don't ever get up there with any assumptions that you're better. Just so you guys know, I am not a great faster. It's changing. I am changing. I'm growing with this as I'm studying this. I'm being convicted, and I, and, and and that's changing. But this is something I think we as a body of believers struggle with. Um, probably most people in this room, if not everybody. I'm not going to speak for all of you. But probably most of us in here could count on one hand the amount of times we fasted. And we probably remember the last time we fasted because it was like a big deal. Jesus did it all the time. He was just always fasting. And for us, it was a big deal. 
So I wanted to look up some examples um, in the Old Testament of fasting because you'll notice that fasting kind of, I don't want to say evolves, but it's used very differently in different situations to the point where a lot of commentators were like, we don't even exactly know if we can nail down the purpose of fasting because it's used in so many different ways. But I think there's one central way that connects all of them. I think there's one central way that connects all of them, and you'll probably see it, um, but I, the spoiler alert, it's the focus. It's the focus. Almost every time you see fasting used, Old Testament, New Testament, it is a focus. It realigns your focus on God's, on God's will. It realigns your prayer on God. In Joel 2, 12 and 13, um, this is God's people as a group. Or Actually, I'm sorry, I'm going to go to Jonah first. Uh, you're going to want the Jonah slide, Nathaniel. Jonah 3, um, this is actually a pagan group, okay? You guys know the story of Jonah? Jonah, oh, I don't have a slide for Jonah. My bad. Sorry, bud. Because <laughs> it would be like the whole book. The <laughs> find the Jonah slide. Hurry up. <laughs> but it would be like the whole book. So I didn't put all that up on a slide. But um, but you guys know the story of Jonah, Okay. Jonah goes, finally, he get, you know, he didn't want to at first, but he goes and he preaches that the world is, or that the world, the city is going to be destroyed, their world is going to be totally destroyed. Okay, these are pagans, they're not believers. And yet, in Jonah 3, they put on sackcloth, they fast as a city, and God hears them. A pagan group, not believers, were able to communicate with God through fasting. I think it'd be safe to say that they became believers in God. Otherwise, I wouldn't have believed it would have worked, but they did. They fasted a pagan city, a whole city, whole city fasted. That actually kind of convicts me too. <laughs> whole pagan city fasted. I can count the times on one hand I fasted. And God had mercy on them. Not only did he hear them, he actually had mercy on them. They still deserve death. He had mercy on them. It was effective. And it was only effective because they turned their hearts to God. In Joel 2, now you can put that slide up. <laughs> In Joel 2, 12 through 13, we get to see God's people as a group in fasting. And it reads like this, Even now, this is the Lord's declaration, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. Excuse me. Slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. God calls his own people corporately to fast. We always think of fasting as something that has to be done in private, as something that has to be tucked away, quiet in a room. But actually we've seen already, this is two examples, one of an entire city choosing to fast publicly, the king actually proclaimed it. Everyone is to do this, even even like the donkeys and stuff had to wear sackcloth. It's a weird scene. But they did. They fasted too. They didn't know why. But um, and then we see, so God's called an entire pagan city. Well, they decided to do it, and God honored it. And then God called his people, his own people, to do it publicly. So proclamation from God, Public fasting corporately as God's believers is also something that we are called to. But notice that the purpose of it, the purpose of it was not just simply like, I mean, humbling yourself was in there, but it wasn't just an outward appearance. It wasn't just a, a dec declaration, if you will. 
it went deeper than that. He says, turn to me all, uh, with all your heart, with all your heart. And then he says, don't just tear your clothes, tear your hearts. You go into fasting, humble your hearts before the Lord. That's the goal of it. In fact, fasting is totally, as we'll see Jesus say later, fasting is totally useless if it's just the appearance, if that's all it is. Totally useless. He wants to get to our hearts with this. God called his people corporately to fast. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. Had a very intentional purpose. God did not simply want them to do an outward demonstration. He wanted their hearts back. Very intentional. He's coming for a very specific reason. He's coming for our hearts. And then in Daniel 9.3, spoiler alert for, <laughs> for Mike. I got to Daniel 9 before Mike did. That's fun. <laughs> God's children individually fasted. And we'll see Daniel do that, not surprisingly. Daniel desires to petition for his people, okay? To petition for his people. He says this, so I turn in verse 3, so I turn my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. We've seen it corporately in the pagan world. We've seen it corporately in God's children. And now we're seeing it individually and not just as a way to save himself, to save themselves, which is kind of what we saw in the last two passages. He is actually petitioning for other people. His heart is that I don't want to see these people destroyed. I want to see these people thrive. So I'm going to fast and pray. And I'm going to fast because it's going to focus my prayer. My heart is going to be in it as I'm more focused, as I'm giving up earthly pleasures to focus in prayer. Daniel prayed very um, passionately for his people. Daniel uses fasting to earnestly pray on behalf of people that he cares for. You'll notice that all these examples use fasting to focus on seeking God. And I find it very significant that a great many men and women of God used fasting in equal part with prayer. That they used it in equal part with prayer. That's not insignificant. That's only a few diverse examples of fasting in the Old Testament. Uh, fasting was used by groups of his own people publicly, by pagans publicly, and by people privately. So what do we see after the coming of Christ? Because you'll notice a, a marked shift from Old Testament to New Testament in the way people fasted. A very marked shift um, in how it looks. In how it looks. I would say the heart is the same or should be the same, but it looks marked, markedly different. First off, let's see how Jesus teaches us how to fast, because he did that. Um, everybody knows how he taught us how to pray. We can all quote that. Probably can't quote Matthew 6, 16 through 18, where he teaches us how to fast. I couldn't. But he says this, Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so 
first off, you'll notice that he's actually, it, I think it's important to note that he is addressing a sin issue in his day and age that is, um, that is cultural to his time that maybe we don't struggle with. Maybe we have a different sin issue than this. Um, because the cultural problem that he's uh, addressing here is all about, um, all about public, public fasting. And uh, there's anybody really going to be uh, real, real religious Jews, the Pharisee, uh, religiously look extra, you know, put their whole life into being extra holy. They would make a big show of it. They'd make their hair all filthy. They'd rub ash on their face, you know, make themselves look paler. They would just make themselves look awful so that the whole world knew, hey, heads up, I'm fasting because I'm holy. And they do it through the nose just like that. I'm convinced of it. That's how every time I, every time I, read, every time I read Pharisees, I, just, I do the nose thing. Oh, Lord. <laughs> like, it's just, that's what I hear. But they're so, they think they're so holy. I don't think that's our problem. <laughs> I don't think in the U.S. we have a problem of um, making sure everyone sees us. I, I mean, I don't even own sackcloth. <laughs> I don't even know where you buy sackcloth. Like, that's just not something I pull out of my closet. It's not even something they sell in stores probably. I don't know. It's probably like burlap sack or something. Sounds awful. But I would actually suggest that we are more likely to avoid fasting because we wouldn't want people to think that we are legalistic or that something in our life is so bad, so bad, that we have to take super Christian measures. It's like, no way, dude. People will think that I'm really messed up. I'm not going to fast. I think that's actually more likely our response. We're more likely to avoid it because it's going to make us look super religious or make people think that we're really messed up because we're taking huge measures. This is a lifestyle for Jesus. A lifestyle. He spent an insane amount of time in the desert being tempted. He spent hours praying and fasting alone. This is a lifestyle for him. What jumps out at me from Jesus' words here is that he expects us to go on with our day as if everything is normal. Did you notice that in the passage where he said, um, put oil on your head, wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So this isn't just something that we do in our closets. This isn't just something that we do um, in our quiet alone prayer time. This is part of life. This is part of life. And me personally... Like, as I dived into ministry, I really had to take a hard look at how do I start my day every day? How do I, when I have a goal in mind in the day that, uh, that God has revealed for me to do, like a, a, like a youth event or a message or a thing, like how do I prepare myself for that? And for me, it's always, it's always been the prayer part. You know, the prayer part. And, it, and it's great. And I love the prayer part. And it absolutely aligns your heart with God. And it aligns your mind with God. But I think we're missing something. We're supposed to be going about our daily lives with fasting included in our life as a lifestyle to center our hearts and our minds on God, to give us that focus, to bring that focus in. Fasting is not merely for a focused repentance of sin, but something that we practice on a good day to honor God. He's so worthy of it. 
We know that uh, Jesus fasted in a big way after being filled by the Holy Spirit. He was then led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan himself. Jesus, of course, displayed perfect discipline, lived on every word of God, and remained holy. Keep in mind, when he was there being tempted, starving, literally, he was God. He had already, he was, you know, began in heaven. He had seen the beginning, the end, everything. He knew what he came here to save. He came here to save you and me. He came here to save our very souls. And he went into that with the discipline to do it perfectly for the goal of attaining salvation for us. And he did it perfectly. Every last ounce of him poured out to save us. Self-discipline. Nobody showed it more than he did. In 1 Peter 1.15, we're called to be holy. He says, but as, you, uh, but as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. But how are we supposed to get there? If we desire to be holy, we must live on every word of God, as Jesus said in the desert, right? Live on, not bread alone, but on every word of God. If we are to hear every word of God, we are going to have to adopt self-discipline. And that involves fasting. That involves fasting with our prayer. That is self-discipline. We humans have a relationship problem. It's called being lazy. This is something about, it is. It's just something about us that is natural. And those of you who are married, you can relate to this. You can relate to this in a big way. When I met Kami, my wife, those of you who don't know, She's the really gorgeous one in the back corner. I always want to say that on camera. Uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah, we're coming up on 10 years. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. At this part in my life, right now, I can say that I love her way more, way deeper than I ever did from the day I met her. And yet, if you were on the outside looking in, and you saw me the day of, the first time I ever talked to her, and my gut fell out of my, my body, <laughs> you would think, wow, there's somebody who is passionate about that girl. <laughs> and nowadays, my love for her is so much deeper, and yet it doesn't always look like that. It doesn't always look like that. I was thinking, how do we get here to the point where our love is deeper, but it doesn't, you don't see the passion as much? And I was starting to think about the way discipline works. When I first met her, took all the nerve in the world to talk to her, finally did it, worked up the nerve, um, said hi to her. She said hi back. It was earth shattering. I do mean earth shattering. <laughs> and we talked for as long as I could contain myself which was like five minutes, longest five minutes of my life, shortest five minutes of my life. If you've been in love, you know what I'm talking about. And then she got up, she walked away. This was at church. She got up, she walked away, and I watched her go. And as I watched her go, a piece of my heart went with it, with her, it, wow, with her. <laughs> and that night, my heart went to Jared's. I mean, I was like ready then. Did not take time at all. <laughs> like, especially... The following weeks, went to a Bible study. She showed up because I told her I was going to be there. And she brought, like, all these baked goods that she would make. And she was coming regularly. And I could tell it's because she had interest back. And again, my heart went to Jared's. 
But when I got there, it was a little sign on the door that said, please come back during regular business hours. And <laughs> because, you know, I didn't have a, I, I, like, okay, you're supposed to, when you get married, you're supposed to have a job, you're supposed to have a car, you're supposed to have, um, uh, at least the beginnings of a career plan. You're supposed to have, like, you're supposed to know how to do taxes. There's, like, all these things where I was like, well, I have, like, one half of two of those things. <laughs> like, I have a part-time job, and I can use my parents' car when I need. Like, <laughs> didn't have a house. So I needed to discipline my own life. I needed to find work. I needed to buy a car. I needed to start planning for a real future. I had to start disciplining my life. And then when you get married, you get married and it's all exciting. It's brand new. And after about a year and you don't really know how, I don't really know how to describe it, but you don't really know how to just entertain the other person all the time. Like you don't know how to just sit there and just live life. It's this kind of weird thing where you feel like this pressure to do something. And so then a lot of times we get lazy we get used to the fact that we're married and we stop doing anything. And there was a there had to be a time in my life when I realized like I'm not doing anything for this woman. Our relationship is suffering because I'm lazy. Cuz I'm not disciplining my life. And when you get to that point in your life, you have a choice to make. Continue in lethargy continue in laziness or start disciplining your life to support the person that you're with. And this bleeds into all relationships, not just spouses, it's friends, siblings, it's children. We have to discipline ourselves to maintain a relationship in life. Why would we think it's any different with God? Why would we think it's any different with God? We require self-discipline because we are naturally lazy humans. It's actually a biological instinct. It's a self-preservation instinct. Your body literally wants to store up fat cells so that if you don't have food, you can survive on yourself. <laughs> it's a natural instinct, path of least resistance. But we don't grow if we don't self-discipline. I love the idea ship. And I too that um, just like in a relationship, if you're only self-disciplining in a relationship when things are really bad, there's a clear, obvious problem. And you're considering counseling, you're considering some sort of um, personal intervention, some sort of external intervention. If that's the only way you're ever self-disciplining, that relationship is going to continue to be unhealthy. And with God, it's the same way. We are to continue drawing near to God through prayer and fasting, even when we're not struggling. After all, Jesus wasn't struggling with sin when he fasted. Jesus never had a sin crisis when he started fasting. Not once, because he didn't sin once. Never happened. He did it to discipline his mind and body because remember, he was fully man. Even though he was fully God, he was still fully man. He had all the same biological challenges that we start with, only he did it perfectly. He fasted. It's not just for sin. 
And he was able to remain perfect and holy all the way to the cross. Praise God. And yet, he didn't have his disciples fast much. I find this also very interesting, something that we need to hit on. In Luke 5, verse 33 through 35, Then he said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and think those of the Pharisees, uh, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, You can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. You see, Jesus was with his disciples at that time. He was there. Focus was not something that they had a problem with because if they were unfocused, he was right there to say, you know, hey, get out of it. Slap him right up beside the head, which he did verbally often. <laughs> he would to us too. We would, we would all need verbal correction often with, with Jesus. Like he would just, he would see everything. He says, I'm with them. The, the bride does not fast while well, they're with the groom at the wedding night. But he gives sort of an ominous drop. He says, but there will be days. Then they will fast in those days. The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. What are those days? Right now. Right now. We are called to be fasting in those days, and those days are right now. And we get to see it in the early church. The early church models for us. They model it wonderfully for us, and it's written down in Acts, in Acts 13, two, uh, yeah, 2 through 3. This is the godly use of fasting in the church. This is something that we are to be using in the church ourselves. This is what we're called to. Our little body. And think of Acts, brand new church. The church is starting. It's a lot like us. We're in a place where we are starting. In Acts 13, too, he says this, As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. They're gathering together to worship, together to worship, to pray, to seek God's heart. And they're doing this as a group corporately. This is not something that was done in hiding. They are corporately fasting, worshiping, and praying, seeking God's heart. And when they did that as a group, God spoke. He spoke to them. And he told them very specifically, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, which was, we know, Many souls were saved. Many lives came to the kingdom. Churches were started. These two were sent out by God, and they were sent out because the church dedicated time to fasting and praying to seek God. Then in Acts 14, 21 through 23, they continue this trend. It says, after they, um, after they had preached the gospel in the town and made many disciples, they returned to uh, Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, the stre uh, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God when they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. We as a church are in the next month or two. I don't know when it's, well, yeah, we're, I think Mike was just going to give us time to pray about it, are actually going to be doing exactly this. Exactly this very thing. We are going to be uh, bringing in el elders as suggestions to the body, um, as who we would like to see become elders in this church. 
and Mike has asked that all of us will be praying about these individuals, that we would be looking at their lives to see if the, if they are um, if they are um, accountable according to the scriptures. And they did it in Acts with fasting and praying, fasting and praying. And so this is my challenge for us as a church. We're going to be bringing on elders soon. And it should not be done without fasting and praying. And I can call us to that because it's done corporately, scripturally. It's not my idea. This is something the scriptures say. I can call us corporately to fast and pray to the Lord about who should be uh, um, elders here. And whether the people who are brought forward, whether they are the right individuals. And we as a body... um, we should be doing this. So I want to encourage you guys as they are brought forward. When Mike brings forward the individual, when he gets back from vacation, he's gonna he's going to bring forward the individuals as consideration. I want to encourage you guys to spend active time fasting, which will focus your attention to praying for these specific individuals. And if you're, if you're praying and it's clear from God that absolutely, yes, they should be in there, tell Mike that. But then continue to fast and pray that they would not falter. Leadership who gets up here immediately receive attacks from the enemy. He goes after spiritual leaders. It's just how it works. Every single time. They need your prayers. And your prayers are going to be far more focused if your prayers are tempered with fasting. The last um, call I want to give to us, and I say us because, again, I'm not claiming to have an amazing fasting life. A call for us, and next week we're going we're gonna to talk about prayer. But I was just thinking about how passionately we pray sometimes. I've heard mothers in here pray for their children in um, the most passionate, heartfelt way I've ever heard. I've heard um, siblings pray for their own siblings. It blows my mind. If we truly want to discipline ourselves to pray well and pray actively for people that we love, we need to start fasting. If there's a problem in your family, if there's a problem in any of your relationships, if there's someone you love dearly and you want to focus some real intentional prayer, you actually want to go to God and do the intercession where you're actually interceding to the Lord for this person, especially for someone who does not intercede for themselves because they're wayward, adopt fasting. It goes with prayer for a reason in the scriptures. It should be going with prayer in our lives today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your instruction. I thank you that you wrote these words down. Obviously, we have a hard time remembering all of them. (laughs) We look to you for our guidance. We acknowledge that you are truth and that your word is true. And so when we are not in line with your word, we we desire to come back into line with you. I know almost every face in this room, and I know the hearts of these people desire a light in our heart, Lord. We do desire to do 
work for your kingdom. We do be as we desire to do your will for those around us. If your word calls us to a better way to do that, we want to do that. Work in us hearts that desire fasting because we desire the focused prayer that it grants and because we are we don't value anything food or anything above uh, souls lives and you lord be with us as we go out Um, use us in this community we love our little community and times are crazy right now couldn't ask for a better time to be fasting and praying use us as we go out be glorified by our worship and bring mike back to us safe We ask this in your name. Amen.